0: This is Truth & Love Ministries, where we bring people home to God by learning His truth and experiencing His unending love. When the world is divided, it's important to have leaders who desire unity. Today, we explore godly leadership and remind ourselves that Jesus is always a leader we can follow. We pray this message refreshes you and speaks encouragement to whatever is going on in your life right now. Now, here's the message. Leaders, we can follow.
1: I want to say good morning to everybody. What a blessed day it is. Awesome day to be alive. And no matter what your situations or circumstance, I am absolutely sure that you can find a reason to thank God this morning and to give Him praise. I pray, God, would grace us to Learn to live in a state of contentment, to learn to live in a place and a position where he is, to operate where he is, to learn to understand his ways and how he functions and and what he is doing at in every situation and circumstance that we're facing and going through. I pray God would help us not to feel that God is absent. When it seems as if God is not moving on our behalf or even answering our prayers. I pray against the devil trying to make us think that God has left us. That God is angry with us. And that God is not hearing us. I pray that we understand his ways. We understand his will. We understand the workings of the almighty God. Because he made us a promise that he would never leave us nor forsake us even to the end of the age. And he said he'd be with us in trouble. He would deliver us, honor us, and with long life he would satisfy us and show us his salvation. We also know that God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he will bring it to pass. And therefore, I would encourage you to stay with God and believe, continue to believe that God is working and moving in your situation and circumstance, no matter what it is, no matter how difficult it may seem, God is working for you. We need to continue to pray, even though there is some, some better news on the horizon that, that's Infections are down on the COVID disease and deaths are down and hospitalizations are down. But we still need to continue to pray that we don't have a relapse in this situation, that we don't go backwards in it, that we continue moving forward, that God will continue and finish the work that he started. We need to thank him just for the fact that he's kept us through this whole ordeal and is still keeping us. At this moment, today I want to kind of start a new series. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the life of David, and I want to talk about that we need—we need leaders that we can follow. We need leaders that we can follow. God has given us a the Old Testament. And given us a whole lot of information in the Old Testament about leaders that he has placed in position and how he used them. And we can even see how God even used wicked men and God used men that he never even selected. <coughs> but we always gotta remember that promotion don't come from the East or, or from the West, but it comes from God, according to Psalm seventy-five. He set one down and he raised another one up. So we got to understand that God is in the midst of it all. God is in the midst of all of the, every leader that that comes to the forefront in some way, shape, or form. We just need to dive in and seek to understand what it is that God is trying to do through the leader that is in place and in position. Today, we're going to kind of focus a little bit in 2 Samuel, and I want to read chapter 2, verse 5 through 7. It says, David sent messages to the men of Jabesh Gilead and said to them, may you be blessed by the Lord because you showed this loyalty to Saul, Saul your Lord, and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. And I will do you good, I will do good to you because you have done this thing. Now therefore let, hand, let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul your Lord is dead and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. The first statement I wanna make is that, is that we need, we need And I don't mean in the United States of America. I'm I'm talking spiritually, and I'm talking about the Christian community. We need a king. We need a king. You know, the, the the people of God's people had entered into the promised land. They had came into the promised land, and each tribe, with the exception of the Levites, received a portion of the land. And each tribe was governed by their elders, and if one tribe was attacked by an enemy, the alarm would be raised, and the other tribes would come to their defense. But there was no national structure to bring them together. And these tribes were a loose association bound by uh, sort of like family history. There was no standard army. There was no strategy for national defense. These 12 tribes helping each other out as on an, an as-needed basis. And you, you see, the problem with this was that some tribes really didn't pull their weight. If, um, if, for example, there was a problem for the tribe of Naphtali in the north, it would be in the interest of their neighbors. Asher and Zebulun to come to help. But when they called for help but when the call for help had reached the tribe of Reuben in the southeast you can imagine how people would wonder, do we really need, do we really need to go? And and I can hear them asking the question, can't people on the ground sort this out? And then I can hear some some of them saying, what has the tribe What has the tribe of Naphtali ever done for us? Why should we go and fight for them? So in the absence of a leader who could bring people together, the people of God pursued the interests of their own tribe. And this was why they became isolated, and it was easy for their enemies to pick them off and overrun them. Now, I just want to just take a, a minute and digress from that for just a second, because it is so relevant to today, it is so relevant to our day. When you think about the 12 tribes that had that had um, entered into the Promised Land, each tribe had been given a plot of land, only the tribe of Levi was not given a, 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 a place. And everybody was ruled by the elders of their tribe, no national st- strategy no national leadership you know just people depending on their neighbors for help can you imagine this now i want you to just think about this and and, and the truth of the matter for me how it re- relates to our day it is a perfect example of where the church is to a certain degree it is a perfect example of where the church is we're all we say we're all one church serving one God. It's almost like the United States. I, 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 I'll i say this as well. It's almost like the United States. The United States is, is think of the word united the United States. And the truth of the matter is we're so far from that, that it's not even funny. Because we have what? We really have two parties. We have a Republican party and we have a democratic party and 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 these parties parties are not united in any way, shape or form, maybe on a few things, maybe on some things, but they're not, not united. not only do we have two parties we have we almost have two presidents at the rate they're trying to go where half of the people still say. Uh, the former president is still president, and half of the people, or uh, more than half, little more than half, say that the current president is the leader of the free world or of the United States. Not only do we have that, we have um, all these different races in the country. And it appears that even the races are not united. There's no unity in the races. It's almost as if there's, you know, the white race appears to be against the black race, the black race appears to be against, against the white race, other races are against the Asian community, others are against the Hispanic community, and we are, as they call it, a melting pot. And then you know, we say that out of many comes one. And then you look over into the church world. You look at the church world. The church world is almost the same as the United States. The, 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 the United States, and let me throw this in as well. The United States says that we are one nation. And we are one nation. And they say that we're under God. We are under God. And they say we're indivisible. I don't know how true that is. With liberty and justice for all. We know that not to be absolute truth. But then back to the church. You know, the twelve tribes had been entered into the promised land east each tribe given a plot of land, each tribe given a space, each tribe ruled by the elders. Think about it now. It sounds like the church. It sounds like the church. It sounds like uh, denominations. It sounds like the Baptists, the Methodist, the Pentecostal, the Holiness, the, the Church of Christ, the, the, the I can't even think of all the, the denominations that exist in this country, in this, in, in this world. But you can see it that even the church that says that we are united, that says we serve, we read the same Bible that says there's one God, one God and Father of us all, one Lord and Savior of us all, one Jesus Christ, one Holy Spirit. So how can we have one God, one Savior, one Holy Spirit, and yet be so divided, yet be so separated from each other? How can this be? How can it be? I say the same thing that I said a few minutes ago, is that we need, even in the church world, we need a king. We need a king. Because in the absence of a leader who could bring the people together, the people of God pursued the interests of their own tribe. Sounds like church. And this was why they became isolated. Listen to this, they became isolated and it was easy for their enemies to pick them off and overrun them. Look at what isolation does. Look at the results of isolation. The results of isolation is it makes it easy for the enemy to pick us off and to overrun us. We need a king. We need a king. And then, you know, really God's people realized that they had this problem. They realized that this is what was going on in and they identified the answers. They said, we need a king. We need someone who can unite us as one. We need someone who can secure our defense and govern with justice. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 20, it says this, there, there shall be a king over us that we also may be like the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. If you know anything about the Bible, you know this right here, that the first king was a disappointment. He was a disappointment. The first king of Israel was a man by the name of Saul, and he came to the throne on a wave of popular support. But he proved to be a big disappointment. Saul became unbearably arrogant. And if you look at 1 Samuel 15, verse 12, he set up him for himself a monument, something God had said not to do. 1 Samuel 13, 13, he was foolish and deceptive. And over time, he became increasingly unstable and unpredictable in the things that he said he did. God's people had wanted a king to deliver them from their troubles. What they found was that the wrong king made their troubles worse. And now this sounds like America. This sounds like America. It sounds like the people in the United States of America who wants a president that can alleviate their problems. Hmm. How many years have we been voting for presidents that we were hopeful that they would solve some of the problems of the nation? And follow-up question with that question is this, how many times have we been greatly disappointed? How many times have we been greatly disappointed that it did not take place. How many times have we elected a president and found that we made, only made our situations worse? And I can say this as well in a lot of churches. When, when church people have a tendency to pick their own leaders, just like this, just like the people of the nation of Israel did. They wanted a king and Saul won by overwhelming support. And they pick their own leader. And guess what? They pick the wrong leader. How many times when we try to find somebody and without seeking God and without God's direction and without God's help and instruction, we do the same thing. We pick leaders that are wrong for doing what God wants done. We pick the wrong people. How many churches? It's amazing to me That this day and time, we have probably more people that say that they are preachers. This this is me talking. I, I have no stats to prove this, but every time you turn around, every and everybody you meet, I met a guy this week that actually said he he was a he was a carrier of the gospel. He was he didn't say he was a pastor, but he basically did say that he was a preacher. I mean, they are everywhere. But yet there are so many churches that don't have pastors when we have an oversupply of preachers. That is amazing to me. That is, that is truly amazing to me. And guess what? People don't pray. People don't pray and find out who God wants to lead them. They find who they want to lead them. They find, they, they invite preachers in, nothing wrong with that, and they find somebody that they like that says what they want to hear. They have itching ears and yet not seeking God. They find themselves in a predicament where they are worse off with who they have chosen than if they had not had anybody. Back to the story. Early in Saul, in, in the reign of Saul, God said to the prophet Samuel, God had another king in mind. In 1 Samuel 16, 1, he said, I have provided for myself a king. God had another king in mind who would better reflect his own heart. And at the direction of the Lord, Samuel anointed David. And David got people's attention when they heard the story of his great victory over Goliath. And, and as David's popularity grew, Saul became jealous. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, according to 1 Samuel 16, 14, and according to 1 Samuel 18:12. But the Lord was with David. The Lord was with David. And they were two different kings. They were two different kings. And Saul repeatedly tried to kill the man who would become his successor, and he was relentless. And for so many years, David lived on the run, hiding wherever he could find refuge. In fact, Saul hated David, but, never, but David never hated Saul. David honored Saul as the king for as long as Saul lived and refused to raise his hand or even his finger against him. David was given many opportunities. Many opportunities to destroy, to destroy Saul, to kill Saul, but yet he took none of them. Man, what a leader, what a guy, what a guy. This man is trying to kill you, and when you have the opportunity to kill him, you refuse to take it. You refuse to do it. And that's amazing to me. That is amazing to me. This man is trying to take your life. You're running, hiding. You are a king. You've been anointed king. And you know you can't can't access the throne until Saul is actually out of the way. And you had many opportunities. And most of us would have said, this is God giving me the opportunity to take this man, to take him out. Most of us would have said, God, put him right here for me to get him. But David was a man that believed in touch not Thine anointed. Do my prophets or kings no harm. He was a man that believed that God, if God raised him up, God could set him down, according to Psalm 75. If God put him in, God could move him out. He was a man that believed in that. We don't believe that today. We take a vote and we vote out the preacher. We vote and we vote out who we don't like. Or we leave. We don't like and we don't consult God and we wonder why the church is so separated and so divided and and so chaotic because we don't submit to the king that we say that we serve. We just call him king, but we don't recognize him as king according to Matthew chapter seven, where it says many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, or king, king. Have we not prophesied in thy name, and have we not cast out devils in thy name, and have we not done many wonderful works in thy name? And he will say to me on that day, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, for I knew you not. I know you. I knew you. I know you not. And we have to understand that this is what is going on not only in that day. It is actually happening in our day. Is happening right now. When Saul died, David was in exile at the time, and God's people were divided, demoralized, and and, and just utterly defeated. Their enemy was enemies was was triumphing over them, and there was no one who could bring them together until David becomes their king. David, without question, was the greatest of all the Old Testament kings and under his leadership, the 12 tribes which had been independent and isolated were united as one people. Enemies who had oppressed the people of God were pushed back. A kingdom was established and God's people prospered. And the story of how all this good came to God's people is told in 2 Samuel. And guess what? We have a need for a leader that we can follow. One that will bring us together, that one that will unite us. We need leadership that unites us today. We're living in a time when we desperately need leadership that unites in every sphere. We see anger and conflict. Where are the leaders who can bring people together? Churches are looking for leadership that unites. We need leadership that unites in every sphere of life. How can you bring people together in a marriage or in a troubled family? What does leadership that unites look like in business, industry, education, and politics? I've already said here in America, we say out of many, one. But how does that happen? How do we get beyond the power of special interest and the rule of the loudest voices and seek the common good? That's exactly what the chapters that are before us really addresses. What it really addresses. It addresses what godly leadership looks like. And we're looking at the story of how David was a David was able to unite a nation. And what we will see is that godly leadership is more than having confidence and strength. It took wisdom, courage, skill, and great perseverance to bring people together. It takes something. It takes, it takes something. It takes this is it's not a work of, of days, of weeks, or months. It took took years as you can see in 2 Samuel 5 and 5. But by God's grace, David did it. And it was the greatest accomplishment of his life. And if you're going to be a person who exercised influence in the lives of others, you're going to have to commit to the long haul. And these chapters are are the story of how God's people were brought into the best years they ever knew. And if you look at, if you want to know how this thing is really laid out, in 1 Samuel 16 to 2 Samuel 1 were the trials when he was hunted and persecuted by Saul. And his triumphs was in 2 Samuel 2 2 through 10 when he established the kingdom and his troubles that came through his own sin and folly in 2 Samuel 11 to 1 Kings chapter 2. And so these chapters that are that we're looking at are the high point of David's life. We here we see David at his best. Here he points us clear, most clearly to Jesus Christ. Now, one thing I like about the scripture is David. God The Bible does not present David as a perfect example of virtue. That's a blessing to see. He had many sins and failings and the scriptures don't hide them from us. In, 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 in these verses, 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2, we are told that David had two wives, Ahino Oem and Abigail. And as we will see, there were more later And we know this is an obvious uh, uh, and uh, and a direct contradiction to the pattern of marriage that God made clear in in the book of Genesis to the pattern that God set up in Deuteronomy 17, 17, where he said, do not multiply to yourselves wives. And And the fascinating and the blessed part of this is we realize that David needed a savior as much as we do. That is why he called the Messiah who was to come my Lord, in Psalms 110 and 1. And in David's life, we see glimpses of the great king who was to come. We see King Jesus in his actions and in his life. And it is an it anticipation of the great king who gathers a people from every tribe and nation and delivers them from the enemies who enslave them and makes them one under his sovereign rule. He makes us one. Jesus is the only ruler, the leader, the king that can do this. David models leadership in these chapters. And second, because he points us to Jesus Christ, the great king who invites us to live under the blessing of his rule. He is the leader that by his grace, we all can follow. So here's the question, who will receive God's anointed king? In 2 Samuel chapter 2 verse 1 it says, after this David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? Now, this is how leaders, this is how a king begins, he begins with prayer. David inquired of the Lord. The first thing David did was to seek the face of God in prayer. Was to seek the face of God in prayer. You know, truly, if we're going to lead any people, if we're going to lead God's people, no matter where they are, no matter where we are seeking to lead, we must begin it by intercession and by prayer. After, after Saul's death, David didn't just assume that it was time for him to take the throne. He sought God and said, Do, is it time? Should I go up? Should I go up into any of the cities of Judah? This is the man that is said to be king. Years had passed. Since Samuel the prophet anointed David as the future king. And David had known for a long time that this was God's calling on his life. But for more than a decade, he was a king without a people. And the question after Saul died was very simple. Are there any people anywhere who would welcome David as their king? Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? Because really and truly Judah was David's own tribe, and it made sense that he should go there first. But there would be, would there be any, even among his own, who would welcome him as their king? Or would he be like Jesus? Well, the word says he came unto his own, and his own received me not. And then we see a picture of faith. A word, a, a answer to his prayer in 2 Samuel 2, 1. Go up to Hebron. Amazingly, Hebron was where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had lived centuries before. It wasn't a major city, kind of like a backwater place. But David went to Hebron, and we are told the men of Judah came, and they anointed king over the house of Judah, 2 in in the fourth verse of that same chapter. Now, you need to remember that God had already anointed David as king through the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 16. So when the people of Hebron anointed David, they were agreeing with what God had already done. That's a prayer note. That's That's a lesson to learn about praying and doing, basically our our main responsibility is to agree with what God has already done. Think about it. God had already anointed David to be king. And so when the people anointed him as king, they were were in agreement with, with what God had already done. And this is what our lives should be like. We should spend our lives agreeing with what God had already done. We should be spending our lives doing that. Think about it. Long ago, God anointed Jesus to be King of kings and Lord of lords. He exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name and that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow and every tongue must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, According to Philippians 2, 9 through 11, God has anointed Jesus King. And every knee should bow before him and every tongue should confess that he's Lord, Lord to the glory of, of God the Father. And when we do that, we are in Faith agreeing with God. When you crown Jesus Christ as king of your life, you are agreeing with what God has already done. And truthfully, truthfully, faith is is agreeing with, with with God about Jesus Christ. The anointing at Hebron is a great moment in the floor of the Bible story because here, for the first time, there was a small community of people on earth who lived under the rule of God's chosen king. God anointed, God's anointed king to reign in Judah. Wasn't a big place. Wasn't a big place. By the way, that's what a church is. What is the church? It is a gathering of people who are committed to living under the authority of God's anointed king. Let me say that again. What is the church? It is a gathering of people who are committed to living under the authority of God's anointed king. And the truth of the matter is when we do that, we actually... When we do that, we actually live under a blessing. When we do that, we actually have the capability to live in unity. Why is the church not in unity? Because the church is not Living under the authority of God's anointed king. Now, let me say this. There are two groups of people. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, it says, But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took ish the son of Saul, and made him king over all Israel. But the house of Judah followed David. Think about it now. Here are the people again, the people again, anointing Saul's son to be king over all all of Judah except for one tribe, and that was the tribe that David was the king over. Can you imagine that? Think about that. Think about that. Think about that and look at that from a church perspective. If, If the church is the same way, guess what? Most churches are not under the authority of God's anointed king. At this point in the story, David had one tribe for him and 11 who were against him. There was one tribe who was saying, he is our king. And the other 11 11 tribes either didn't care or were dead, dead set against him. And guess what David's task was? to bring people from every tribe under the blessing of his rule. And it was the same in the ministry of Jesus before the day of Pentecost. The apostle John was one of the 120 people huddled, huddled together in an upper room, fearful and feeling overwhelmed by the power of their enemies and vastness of an unbelieving world. And a generation later, God gave John a vision that he wrote down in what we know as the book of Revelation. He said, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and the Lamb of God crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 and 10. He said he saw a group of people. This is God's dream. This is God's vision. This is what it's supposed to look like. Different languages, different nations, different tribes, and people from all over, everywhere, from every nation. Nobody could number crying out to the same God, to the same king who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And so this journey from the hundred or so in Jerusalem who owned the rule of Jesus to the multitude that no one could number who rejoiced with him in heaven. And we are part of this journey. This journey is a foreshadow in the story of how people from the north, south, east, and west joined the small band at Hebron in, in, in embracing David as their king. And this story is a story of a great king and two groups of people, those who are for him and those who are against him, and how this king reaches out to win his enemies in order to, to make them his, his friends, and how people come into God's kingdom today. It speaks a lot, it speaks a lot about how we pursue our mission in a, in a world that does not love or honor, honor our king. So let's look at the invita- an invitation to live under the rule of the king. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, it says, When they told David it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul, David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead. Now, look at what, it was, what they're dealing with. They, they're loyal. Here's a group of people that's loyal to the old king. Sound like America, don't it? Sound like America. There's a lot of people that's still loyal to the former president. They're still loyal to the former president. So the people of Jabesh Gilead were hardcore supporters of Saul, and they had a reason for it. That was a reason for it. That was, was a brutal enemy by the name of Nahash who could who could, who could only be described as in our day as a terrorist, came to Jabesh with his military. And Nahash Nahash gave the people of Jabesh, Gilead, two choices. He said, now here's choice number one, I will wipe you all out or I will make you my slaves. And he said, and because of this compromise, if I make you my slaves, I will gouge out the right eye of every person in town first to mark you as my slaves. What a cruel man. But in 1 Samuel 11, when Saul heard about this, he came with an army and delivered these people. And guess what? They never forgot what Saul had done for them, and they were intensely loyal to him. You know, that's another thing that's missing. No matter what people do for others this day and time, there is no sense of loyalty anymore. No sense of lo- loyalty. Or very let me say, let me rephrase that. There's little, very little sense of loyalty that comes from people. It's like my mama said. My mama used to say as I was a kid a long time ago, she said, everybody for themselves, and god's for us, God for us all. And then you, you, you see the commando raid that years later when Saul died on the battlefield, the Philistines took his body and put it on display in the temple of one of, the, one of their gods so that Saul didn't have a proper burial. Look at the loyalty now. A, a commando raid, a small group of people, when the people of Jabez Gilead heard about this, they were angry. And they organized a, a, a commando raid, and, and going into the enemy's territory, they retrieved the body of that dead king and gave him a proper burial. Loyalty. Not going to allow him to be degraded like this. It was It was daring, it was dangerous, but they did it out of love for Saul, and this is what was reported to David. Now, think about it. The people of Jabez Gilead were Saul's people. Whatever Saul was for, they were for. Whatever Saul was against, they were against. And for years, the person Saul had been most against was who? David. So, we look at a hostile audience. Jabesh Gilead is the most hostile audience for David among the 12 tribes. And guess what David said? Guess what David said? David said, let's go talk to these people first. Most of us would have went for the low-hanging fruit. We would have went for the ones that were a little easier to deal with or handle. David went for the hard case, the hardcore supporters of, of Saul and and, and, and these were men that, most, most, that were least likely to accept him as their king. And when, and when David was told it was the men of Jabez Gilead who buried Saul, in verse 4, the, he sent messengers to these people who were least likely to accept him as king. Think about it. Think about the people in your life who are least likely to embrace King Jesus. How would you approach them? How would you try to win them? David gives a marvelous example here of winning the least likely with grace. It reminds me of the gospel where it says, Love your enemies, bless those that curse you, do good to those that hate you, pray for those that despitefully use you, and say all men of evil against you falsely. It reminds me of the, 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 the scripture that says, If your enemy hungers, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For by doing so, you shall heat coals of fire, on his head. So let's look at the king's message. Let's look at the king's message. Now put yourselves in the shoes of the people of Jabesh when the messengers arrived. They had been sent by David who has been crowned as king by some people from his own tribe. What would you expect to hear if you had been loyal to Saul? Who for years had tried to destroy David. You were for Saul, so I'm against you. You would expect to hear, may you be cursed by the Lord. Your days are numbered and I will destroy you. My kingdom has come. But that's not what the messenger of the king says. 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, David sent the messengers to Jabez Gilead and said to them, may you be blessed by the Lord. Because you showed this loyalty to Saul, your Lord, and buried him, now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. And I will do good to you because you have done this thing. Isn't that amazing? The people that were against him, the people that probably helped hunt him, the people that hated him and wanted to kill him, David is now saying that he... May they be blessed of the Lord because they done this for Saul. Saul. And now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. And I will do good to you because you have done good, done this thing. David, even when Saul was dead, David still had respect for him because he still saw him as God's anointed he still saw him as God's anointed, And here's a king who goes to the people most opposed to him and he says, you were for Saul and Saul was against me, but that does not mean that I'm against you. I will do you good. What I will seek is that God's blessing will be on you. So here's an invitation for you. An invitation to you. You know, some people, you know, may have maybe have set themselves against Jesus. That don't mean that Jesus has set himself against you. King Jesus reaches out to the people least likely to welcome his rule. But if you have set yourself against Jesus, it's natural for you to assume that he must be against you because you're against him. People who resist Jesus often assume that his message is, I hate you and I will destroy you. They see him as an angry God. They see him as an angry king coming and seeking to take revenge. But what we are seeing is that God's anointed king reaches out to you and says, I will do you good. That's what Jesus is saying to the world. And I will come to bring you into the blessings of God, steadfast love and faithfulness. And then David gives a a great invitation. Therefore, let your hands be strong and valiant. In in verse 7, for Saul, your Lord is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Saul, your Lord is dead. The kingdom you live for is passing away. You know it what you have looked to for support is no longer able to help you. A new kingdom is rising and there's room in this kingdom for you. Man, David sounds just like Jesus. This is the word of the king who lives. What you are giving yourself to has no power to defend you or help you, but I will do you good. Guess what? When you believe that Christ will do you good. You'll be ready to embrace him as your king. But sometimes it takes courage to switch sides. And and David knows this. And that is why he says, let your hands be strong and valiant. You know what? If you grew up surrounded by Christian faith but chose to move in another direction, it will be no small thing for you to own Jesus as your king. You you, You have become used... Used to keeping him at a distance. You have come to believe that he is against you. And that if if he ever got hold of you, he would make your life miserable. But today he says, I, this is what Jesus is saying. This is what the leader we need to follow is saying. I will do you good. And if you hear this and if you believe this, you'll submit yourself to live under the blessing of his rule. And you will join the people who own Jesus as their king. And if you were brought up with a different faith or with no faith at all, it will be no small thing for you to take your stand with Jesus Christ. You may have been very far from Jesus, but that does not mean that Jesus is far from you. He invites you to live under the blessing of his rule. And he says to you today, I will do you good. If you came from a different faith or no faith at all, Jesus is saying the same message to you. I will do you good. You may be saying, why would he want to do me, do good for me? Why? Because that's grace. We were enemies of Jesus. But that does not make him an enemy to us. While we were still his enemies, guess what? Christ died for us. So this grace is what makes the response of faith possible. When you know and believe that Jesus Christ will do you good, when you know and believe that Jesus Christ will do you good, you will freely and gladly submit to his rule. Knowing that he has come to do us good is what we discover at Calvary's cross. So here's the whole Bible story in a nutshell there's a great king anointed by God and two groups of people some are for him some are against him the king reaches out in grace and mercy to those likely less likely least likely to receive him and speaks words of grace I will do you good there's room in my kingdom for you he comes so that you may be blessed by the Lord God didn't send his son didn't send his son into the world to condemn condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And may his grace give us all the courage to stand with him as our king, and then to be messengers of his grace for a very angry and divided world, so that people from every tribe and every nation may come under the rule of God's anointed king so that he may do them good. In order for the unity that we seek to take place in our homes, to take place in our churches, to take place on our jobs, to take place, we got we to be in it for the long haul in our neighborhoods in our communities we have to be in this for the long haul we have to be committed to this this takes time to win those that are against your king and devoted to another it takes time it takes a commitment and it takes reaching out to the one That is resistant toward you. Not trying to gain the low hanging fruit. But to try to reach that one. That hates you. Bless those that curse you. Do good to those that that hate you. Pray for those that despitefully use you. And say all manner of evil against you falsely. In Galatians 3.28. And I'll close with this verse. In Christ's family. This is from the message. Bible. In Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and free, female. Among us, you are all equal. That is, we are all in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. When we come to Jesus, it brings us all on a level plane. It puts us all on the same playing field. It puts us all on, on, on the same grounds. We all become the same thing. There's no high and low. There's no great and small in God's kingdom. There's no big and little. There's no rich and poor. We all become common. And like the apostles did, they shared what they had, that he who had an abundance didn't have anything over, and he who had lack had no lack. They had everything common. That's what, a king, that's what the kingdom looks like. That's what it looks like. That's how we, in, in order for any, I was talking to a, 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 a co-worker of mine, and, and and I was telling them that in order for anything to work, there has to be one leader that everyone listens to and obeys and follows. And I'm not talking about a man, I'm talking about Jesus. If you get two people in a home committed to Jesus, then when there's a, a disagreement, if both are listening to Jesus, Jesus can bring Show each person where their wrong is, and when the two come together, the only words that come forth out of their mouth is, I'm sorry, I was wrong. He will help them to see themselves and him to be the only one right and righteous in that situation. And this works the same way everywhere. Let us pray. Lord, may we receive you, may we anoint you, and may we crown you king of kings and Lord of lords, Lord of lords in our lives, over our families and over our homes and over our churches. Again, may we seek you, may we follow you, may we obey you, and may we be committed to you and committed to the process so that there can be unity In the church in our homes and as much as we can make a difference on our jobs may there be unity may there be peace may there be joy may there be life again may there be life again and Lord how we bless you we praise you we worship you And we honor you as you help us and grace us to come to this place and point so that the world that's starving for unity, for love, for life, for joy, for peace, can find it in the king that we present to them as one king that loves us all and wants to do good for us. We bless you for it.
0: He just came not lie. Danger. In spite of what, Danger. what the devil does. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to subscribe and share with somebody you know. And tune in next week for more sermons from Truth and Love Ministries Church.